0: Getting sober can feel really hard. And even after you start to feel better, you might wonder what's next? Is it all worth it? Why don't we have more stories out there about what people look like when they're living their best lives sober, when they're dealing with life's ups and downs and doing it all without numbing out? On this podcast, you'll hear those stories. This is Sober in the Sunshine. Hello, hello, this is Jessica. Welcome to Sober in the Sunshine. I want to start out each week by giving you a little tip that makes my sober life uh, better for me. And all of these tips will be good either for people in early sobriety or for people who are in longer term recovery. And also just people who live because um, the tools that we use in recovery really just kind of make life better, I think, in general and can be used by anyone. So the first step tool that I wanted to introduce you to is um, Feet Up The Wall Yoga, which sounds very bizarre. Um, It's something that brought me a lot of comfort in early recovery and um, it was something that I tried when I was like, oh, I need a fucking tool of some sort to make me feel better. Um, I think I was Googling around and just trying to figure out something that might help and this did help. So all you do is um, put your butt up against the wall, um, lie down on your back. And put your feet up the wall and just sit like that. I would sit like that for 15 minutes or so and just listen to a podcast or read or just chill. And something happens with your lymphatic system or some, I have no idea what I'm talking about. But it does make you feel better. Um, Has to do with how your blood flows and stuff. So, hey, give it a try if you're looking for a tool to add to your toolbox. And if you don't know what a toolbox is, uh, a toolbox is... A collection of things that makes you feel better, uh, and the reason that we have a toolbox in sobriety and recovery is that we're trying to replace alcohol with a bunch of good stuff. So you throw everything at life that you can, and you see what makes you feel good. So I hope that that helps somebody. Um, it definitely helped me in early recovery. And this week's guest is Carrie. I have kind of a cool story to tell you. Um, one thing that I've noticed in recovery is that my intuition has gotten so much stronger. And when I decided to start this podcast, I had a vision of what I wanted it to be like. I wanted to talk about, you know, what people looked like when they were living their best lives sober. But I had no idea how to introduce that concept to people, um, and I didn't know who my first guest should be. I I just was kind of lost about how to bring it to life. And I interviewed Carrie for the Mother Recovering podcast. Um, and when I emailed her, um, before I was going to interview her about what she wanted to talk about, she had these amazing ideas and half of them were exactly what I wanted to do with this podcast. And so I asked her, can we please talk about this half of the stuff on mother recovering and the other half of the stuff on my new podcast? And will you be my first guest? And she said, yes, thankfully. And Carrie and I have become good friends now and, um, it's been awesome to get to know her I hope you enjoy her story if you listen to her interview on mother recovering don't worry this is all different stuff and she is hilarious (laughs) I especially love the comment about sitting around in your underwear so enjoy thanks for being here
1: Carrie I'm so excited to do this this is going to be really fun I'm so Um, excited to be here Thanks for letting me um, work out the kinks with your interview. I'm really excited to have you be, like, my inaugural guest. Yes. Um, yes. And, um, and we yeah. just talked a little bit about what my goals are for the podcast. And yeah. and we've also talked about the fact that you're welcome to use the word stop or any other word that you want to. Um, and, <laughs> you know, that if we use it in real life, we might as well use it on the podcast. All right. Um, So don't worry about anything like that. Um, But, you know, I want this podcast to be focused on recovery and how great life can be after you Mm -hmm. quit drinking. So um, I want to ask you, Carrie, more than, you know, how much you were drinking or how addicted you were, how were you feeling at the end of your drinking? What Like, what were you feeling like on a daily basis? Sure. That's a great question. And first, I just want to say how honored I am, Jess, to be here. Oh, thanks. To be your first guest on your new podcast and when you told me about your new podcast, I got so excited.
0: Aww, thanks, girl. Because I think
1: it's so important. First of all, you're awesome and you are such a, you know, you're such an amazing person and such a bright light. And I think it's so important to focus on, you know, not only what it was like, but how it is now and how yes. wonderful and amazing sobriety is and, like, all of the wonderful things people are doing in sobriety. So I'm just super excited for for your podcast, and I think you're going to help so many people with it. So thank you.
0: Thanks, Molly. Yeah.
1: So um, as far as your question about what drinking, how it made me feel, especially towards the end, um, it made me feel really weak. It um, it made me feel filled with with shame and with guilt, and um I couldn't square that away with the rest of my life so for me, you know, like I had we had talked about before, t- towards the end of my drinking, I was a very high functioning alcoholic, so everything on the outside looked really good and it looked like I was keeping everything together you know i I made it to work and I took care of my daughter, and I made all of my obligations and it looked good on the outside, but internally internally, I felt like I was falling apart, and I felt like I was unraveling and mm-hmm. When I drank, it made me feel um it made me feel really weak, like I didn't understand why there was this part of me that didn't fit in with the rest of my life. So what I found mm-hmm. is like I began living a, like a what it would be you know called like an incongruent life where it didn't It didn't match. Like, it it was this part of me that didn't match the rest of my life, and it was so hard for me internally to to deal with that struggle every single day. I mean, I remember one of the last drunks I had where I woke up on the bathroom floor, and I can remember pulling myself off the floor and and seeing myself in the mirror and saying to myself out loud, why do you hate yourself so much? Why are you doing Mm -hmm. this to yourself? So for me, towards the end, it it just really made me feel weak and small and powerless. And I think, um, for me, sobriety has given so much of that back to me. Sobriety has made me feel empowered and and like like I've come back to myself again. And that's been such a beautiful part um, about sobriety. I love
0: that. Yeah. I know for me... It took a long time.
1: I think that the reason it took so long for me to surrender to the fact that I just couldn't drink like a normal person Mm -hmm. was that I was terrified of getting sober. And that's a huge reason I wanted to start this podcast. I think a lot of people are just scared because it's like this giant unknown. Mm -hmm. Did you feel scared of, of getting sober? I did. I was so scared. And that's what kept me drinking for 10 years after I first recognized that I had a problem. You know, I, I say that I had about 10 years of gray area drinking where I knew I had mm-hmm. a problem, but I didn't know what to do about it. And part of it was just this fear, this fear of the unknown, this fear of what life would look like after I got sober. And it yeah. felt so big and so scary mm-hmm. that I I could not uh, take it on until I was Really, I had to be desperate and broken in order for. Right, me. it's like that's yeah. that's your last option, right? is to get yeah. sober. It's like, well, I guess it's, it might as well just suck because I can't do this anymore. Right. Yeah. Like for me, that happened when I was in the emergency room. It was like, okay, well, the, I'm I'm very desperate and I'm very broken and I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to do mm-hmm. anything to get better. Mm-hmm. And when you are talking about going to the emergency room, you're referring to um, something that we talked about when I interviewed you on Mother Recovering, which was mm-hmm. you basically ended up in the ER with what mm-hmm. was well, with alcohol withdrawal. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I did. Yeah, I did. I went in. I thought I was having well, you know, the story I told myself is I was having a heart attack, um, which got me to the emergency room because I, I I was having really bad chest pains and I was just I was getting sick and I was sweating and I was shaking. Um, and and what happened then is that I was seen by the um the hospital social worker who told me, No, I was not having a heart attack. In fact I was going through alcohol withdrawal because I'm an alcoholic and um that was a that was a hard realization to have. But once you're lying in a hospital bed in the emergency room because of your drinking, for me that was that was my bottom and that was mm-hmm. when I I knew that I could no longer continue to live that way, which I'm so grateful for because it's brought me to sobriety.: Oh, absolutely. and, and so you ended up leaving that day and going to rehab, right? mm-hmm I did. I went and immediately to an intensive 28-day rehab um, which you and I you know we've talked about for me, I needed to go away to, to treatment. Some people, do not need to go away to treatment. I think everybody has to decide what's right for them. You know, there's lots of options. There's inpatient treatment. There's outpatient treatment. You know, there's there's step meetings. There's alternative meetings. Um, mm-hmm. You just have to find what's right for you. Um, mm-hmm. For me, I knew that I needed um, I needed intensive inpatient care, and I needed yeah. 24-hour support. Uh, and honestly. I needed to go away and to be able to focus entirely on um, on myself and on getting better. Yeah. And so that is what um, rehab allowed me to do. And so when you got there, um, did they put you right – did you start going to meetings from the first day? Sure, that's a really great question. I think a lot of people who are considering going away to treatment have those questions because – you, you know, you don't really know what it's like, and right. um, I I was nervous about what it would look like because I had no idea um, what, <laughs> in my mind, I had all these ideas of what, what rehab would look like, and mm-hmm. um, <laughs> like I was telling you, in my mind, it was like sleepaway camp for like adult degenerates. <laughs>
0: um,
1: I always wanted to go to camp, fun. right? I always wanted yeah. to go to sleepaway camp. I just never knew <laughs> <laughs> it was going to be <laughs> rehab. Um, so when I got there, I actually ended up getting there pretty late at night and I was on a lot of medication at that point to help me withdraw. So my memories of the first night are a little blurry, but they basically do an intake, um, where they get all of your health information, have my husband with me at that point for support, and they give you a breathalyzer to, to see how much alcohol you have in your system, which is really funny because I... I showed up sober because I, yeah. I thought you I thought you had to show up sober to be admitted. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then they brought out this breathalyzer, and they're like, okay, bl- p- please blow into the breathalyzer. I'm like, well, I'm sober. And uh, they laughed, and they're like, well, most people who show up here are really intoxicated. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I wanted to, like, run up to the window and just start, like, knocking on it as my husband was <laughs> leaving and say, like, no, give me one more hour and a box of wine. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah and so, so, yes, yeah, so they do the intake, and then, basically, at that point, it was so late at night for me that I just went right to bed, and um, I was still detoxing, so i had I was right near the med station, so I had like twenty four hour care, and they actually, for the first couple of days, their the nurses would come in the middle of the night and check on me and like take my blood pressure and do just all that routine because I was still detoxing um, Mm -hmm. because I was such a heavy drinker. And it was the next morning um, when I I kind of got into the groove of things. And rehab actually is very structured. So you start at 6 a.m. Somebody wakes you up at 6 a.m. They knock on your door. (laughs) They say, good morning. Uh, It's time Mm -hmm. to get up now. And you're expected to you know get up and shower and go to breakfast. And from there, it's basically from 8 a.m. in the morning until about 9 o'clock at night, and it's it's entirely structured with, um, you know, classes and lectures, intensive one-on-one therapy. So you know, it, it it was such a good experience for me. You know, I, I've mentioned this before, it was the hardest thing I've ever done, and it was the best thing I've ever done. And for me, I think it really gave me the tools and resources that helped me um, start to rebuild my life because I think a lot of sobriety, early sobriety, is just really learning how to to relive again in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it gave me the tools and the resources to be able to do that.
0: So we talk a lot about um, um, in the group that we belong to, and yeah. um, I know in, um, in other, you know, smaller groups, people talk a lot about the
1: sobriety toolkit and mm-hmm. about um, – Can you explain to me, like, what, what you think the sobriety toolkit is and what was in yours? Like, well,
0: did they teach you about that, about that concept at rehab?
1: I can't remember if they taught us about the concept at rehab. They definitely tried to prepare us as much as possible. For yeah. getting out of rehab because, you know, you are like a, you know, you're basically wrapped up in, in, you know, safety bubble wrap and then you get out yeah. and you feel, you know, you're very exposed and, um, you just are very raw and everything feels new. Um, it was, it, to me, it felt like the world had changed. I had been gone for 28 days and it, it honestly, it felt like it was, you know, 28 months that I had been gone for Oh God, I bet. Yeah, and so you're you're really you're getting out and you're learning how to relive again. So they definitely prepare you um, with resources, with tools, and you know I think that for me when I when I got out of uh, treatment is that I started to put together a toolkit for myself. What does what do I need um, to get through the day? Because in early sobriety, you know I think that you're you're safety kit, your sober safety kit in early sobriety is is not how do I get through this month or this week. It's literally how do I get through today, you know? Yeah, or like even the next 10 minutes. Yes, absolutely. How do I get through the next 10 minutes? Because sometimes even the day seems overwhelming, just getting through the entire day. So I think it's really important just to start um, putting together some – Tools and resources and and in the beginning, it really is just about how do I get through today and so for mm-hmm. me, you know it started with things like um, I needed to have structure, so in the mornings, it was really important for me um, that I write out my to do list for the day and okay. I, I'm not talking about you know <laughs> writing some wonderful paper or going to, you know, a fabulous lecture. I mean, it was like brush teeth, take the yes. hour. Yeah. Yes. Unload dishwasher today. Go to a meeting. Um, I always had, I always made at least an hour of time for sobriety. Like that, I, that was minimum for me in the beginning. I had to spend at least one hour um, on my sobriety, my recovery work um whether that was for me so I do the, I do a 12 step program so for me whether that was going to a meeting if I couldn't mm-hmm. make a meeting it was listening to a podcast or it was going to one of my online um sobriety forums and checking in with people cuz I think it's mm-hmm. so important in the beginning to just to be seen and to be heard by your community and to be checking in so I also put together a list um of of people that I would check in with every day so that people, I, I, was held accountable, basically. So that was it. That was a really big part of my, um, of my early sobriety toolkit was just, you know, having structure, having community, um, focusing on my recovery. And then, you know, I also had things like ice cream. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of ice cream in early sobriety. Right. Um, <laughs> Well uh, basically, I think all you need is, like, ice cream and a comfortable pair of underwear for your early sobriety. <laughs> yes. like, you just you just need comfort in your life. Yes, you just need comfort, <laughs> totally. And, um, you know, you need things like good binge-worthy television, right? Like, mm-hmm. you need to have something to take your mind off of of kind of the reality of what you're going through because sometimes it is just so difficult. Um, and like you said, it is hard to just make it through even the next 10 minutes. So I had things like really good binge TV and, um, always had sugar on me. You know, for mm-hmm. me, I, I, was always so focused on my diet and I, I, lived or died by what number was on my scale. And I just had to throw that out the window when I got sober, I made a decision that for me, sobriety was more important. And, um, and so sugar, I craved a lot of sugar and I let myself have it, you know. I let myself have yeah. it. I always had even a, a candy bar in my purse for a, emergencies. Um right. You know, they, they say nobody ever got, like, pulled over for, like, driving while eating a Snickers bar, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> you just have to do um, what I think is, like, a comfort to you. So, and the flip side of that was, like, moving your body, you know. I tried to exercise every day. That was yeah. really important to me, and um, I've been told and I've read that raising your endorphins and early sobriety is really important. Like, however you choose to do that, you know, whether that's mm-hmm. exercise or other physical activities, <laughs> right. really, is really good for you. Um, yeah. I found dance was really important, just like um, I think music's really therapeutic, um, so just moving my body, um, listening to music. It's funny, actually, and um, one of my favorite memories I have from rehab was a, a dance party that we organized, right? So you're in rehab with hundreds of strangers, and everybody is crawling out of their skin, and everybody's feeling, like, vulnerable and exposed and, you know, detoxing, and so one of my girlfriends thought, wouldn't it be fun to have a dance party? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what we were thinking. But so we like, like we got permission to have a dance party and we like flyered the campus with like. Oh my god. Yeah, right? Again, sleep away camp for degenerates. Is amazing. Right? So we have like a sign up sheet, right, for our big dance party and we got permission from, um, from the, the, the uh, gym instructor because music wasn't allowed. The only time you're allowed to listen to music was during gym or during art therapy. And so we got like a special permission to have this dance party during this special time and everybody was really excited about it and the day comes and like we go to the, <laughs> we go to the dance party and three people have showed up.
0: <laughs> three
1: people have showed up. And um, we did it, man. Like, we put on some hip-hop barbecue station on Pandora, and we got really uncomfortable, and we danced for an entire hour. Um, Oh, my God, I love that. It was one of the most fun memories I have of being in treatment, and it was, I think, a lot of, like, just a metaphor for early sobriety is because you're just... You're learning how to to be uncomfortable um, and you're yeah. learning how to just move through the world in in a different way than you're used to and um you know it it was so much fun and um i I think it's important like laughter is another um, is another thing in early sobriety that I think is is so important and definitely something that I have in my toolkit is how can I laugh today and I think yeah. that yeah, and I think that um, for me, when I got sober, one of my biggest concerns, and I think a lot of people I hear this, is I'm never going to have fun again. Right? Oh my god, so true. Yeah, right? like, no, Were you worried no about no that? How you're going to have fun if you're sober? Like I was so that, that worried. And now it's like now I just laugh at that because I've had more fun in sobriety than I can ever remember in recent years. Right? Um, Absolutely. And I think the first time you hear your sober laughter, it's like for me it was very healing. It was very healing. Oh yeah. And it comes it, from like this yes. place that you that you've never even like could access before. Did you mm-hmm. did you feel that way? I did. I did and I remember for me, like I remember where I was when I had like my first sober laugh and it was in treatment and was my with my girlfriends my my rehab sorority sisters we called ourselves yeah. we were sitting out back and um we were just talking about life and families and we were just cracking up and I remember laughing and hearing myself laugh and I actually started crying yes I, said, I did yes. too absolutely right. because it was like it had come from a, like you said it was like came from a place that I hadn't heard in such a long time and it it just lifted me up, and it 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 brought me to tears. So then I was like crying, so I'm like laughing and crying. <laughs> yep. People are like, what's so wrong? Yep. Are you so, okay? It feels so cathartic, though. It's like, yeah. oh, I'm okay. You know, what totally helped me was looking at my kids
0: and realizing how much fun they have in life, and they have never had alcohol. Yes. Like, they don't need alcohol to have fun. That's, you know, mm-hmm. that's what we need to remember, you know? Like, we
1: learned how to have fun before we ever drank. Isn't that amazing? I know. It's so crazy. But, I mean, you know, it, you totally, like, brainwash yourself through drinking right. that, that like, everything that's fun comes from drinking and everything right. that is meant to be fun needs to be celebrated with drinking. Yeah, but it's absolutely. Like, oh no, we can and, and,
0: move away from that.
1: That's such a great point. And, and, you know, I actually, in my early sobriety toolkit, one of the things I went back to was I started doing things that I did. Um, it might sound a little, like, kooky to some people, but it was really cathartic for me. It's like I started doing things that I did when I was a kid. And yes. it kind of brought back those memories that I had, those good feelings I had before I was an active addiction. So, you know, like foods I used to like, um I
0: love that. That's so yeah. great. You're like comforting yourself with things
1: from childhood. Yeah. Oh, I, I started so watching like movies I watched when I was a kid. Like The mm-hmm. Labyrinth with David Bowie, who I love. <laughs> um yeah. and yeah, it just like I, I tried to um it was it was really healing for me to kind of like comfort myself in in, in ways that I used to enjoy before I was an active addiction because, like you said, I think that we do get brainwashed, um, mm-hmm. that this is the only way to be happy in life. This is the only way we're going to have fun in life. And it's not true. There's so much on the other side of sobriety. Um, so that was something that was especially healing for me and so helpful.
0: And I know that some people, when they, um,
1: and I don't know if you've gotten to this point yet because you are about eight months in. Yeah. Um, have you, Like, noticed the kind of urge to when you said that you went back to doing stuff that you did as a kid. Have you noticed like an urge to be creative or to develop a new hobby or put your time in? Well, yes, you have because you started writing, right? Yeah, that's what writing is for you. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question
0: coming up for you.
1: That's a really great question, and um, so, um, for me. I again, you know, in early recovery, I started going back to things that felt therapeutic to me, um, that that fed like kind of like my soul in a way that was really healing for me. And one of those things was writing. And um, you know, not many people know it who know me in my life now, but I, I actually thought I was going to be a writer. Um, when I was growing up, I I loved writing. And in high school, I was like your classic rebellious underachiever. I I acted out a lot in high school. Um, And it was also the time when I I started to to drink and use drugs to to cope with life. So Mm -hmm. I I really was an underachiever in school, but the one thing I really excelled at was, was writing and English. And I actually remember one day having my my favorite English teacher, like, pull me out into the hallway, and she was like, you're a good writer. Like, you need to focus on this. Mm. And um, when I got to college, I had this dream of being a writer. So I actually, I went to school um, uh, for journalism and creative writing, and I thought that that was, like, my career path. And... Shortly after I had graduated, I started doing some freelance work, and, um, you know, I think one of the gifts of sobriety is you have this ability to start connecting the dots, you know? Yes. Like you look back. Yeah. Yeah, you look back on things that you'd done 20 years previously, and you're like, I don't know. Oh, that's why I did that. Yes. Oh, I see now. So, mm-hmm. for me, I think what happened was, is here was this thing that I loved, and it was, at the time, you know, one of the only things I felt really good at. And I had written something, and somebody that was close to my life um, had some pretty harsh criticism, pretty harsh feedback for me and it broke me it broke me oh. i i it it hurt so mm-hmm. badly, and I remember thinking i i can't do this like the thought of of um, the thought of having criticism and of not doing well, a failure, something that I love so much. Like mm-hmm. I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. It was too heartbreaking mm-hmm. for me. And I put it, I put it away. I, I literally put it away. It might've even yeah. been like that day that I decided, um, nope, I actually don't want to be a writer. I want to do something else. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so I ended up having um, a career in nonprofit, um, the nonprofit world and economic development and then in fundraising. And I love my job. I, you know, I I really, I ended up doing really fulfilling, really wonderful work, but there was always kind of like this drumbeat somewhere inside that I wasn't doing what I really wanted to do, what I was supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think that your truth in life has a way of finding you, whatever it is, you know?
0: Yes. I love that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it, it, it screams at you in the busy moments of your day and it whispers to you at night and it just, it, it finds you. And so Mm -hmm. I remember being, um, in the shower one day and I was just having an off day, just a really bad day. And I, I was like, what is wrong? Why am I feeling so down? I don't know what's happening. And then all of a sudden it was like a light bulb moment. I I literally remember I had like shampoo in my hair and, I just heard myself saying, you're supposed to write. You're a writer. You're supposed to be writing. Go write. And I literally jumped out of the shower, and I toweled off, and I called my mom. And I was, like, just out of breath. And I had this revelation, and I was like, Mom, I'm supposed to write. And she very calmly was like, of course you're supposed to write. You were always supposed Um. to write. You are always supposed to write, you know? Yes. Moms and know that stuff. Moms know that stuff. And, I, and so I told her, I said, listen, I don't know if I'm ever going to do this, but I just have to put it out there in the world. I just have to say it to somebody that at some point in my life I want to go back to writing. And yeah. she was like, okay. Okay, then that's what you're going to do. And so for me, it took, it took a while longer. Um, mm-hmm. It took for me to get sober. Really, um, I, I it wasn't until after I got sober, and um, I had written a little bit, you know, here and there. Um, you know, most recently, I've been writing about my wedding um, for a local magazine, and so a lot of my friends and family had read that and were really supportive, and they started asking me, like, "Well, are you going to? Why don't you consider going back writing more?" And it wasn't until I got sober and. Um, you know, in early sobriety, for me at least, I I couldn't string a sentence together. I yeah, couldn't. I
0: wanted to ask you that. Did you oh, have that brain fog? I had the, I was
1: crazy. You know, oh, like I was thinking yeah. about like early sobriety toolkit and I was thinking about books and I was like, forget yeah, books. I couldn't even, I couldn't even like read a paragraph. I would read yeah. it and then I would forget it and then I'd read it and then I'd forget it. So yes. I couldn't write. I just, I, I couldn't at the time. And so it took some time, but I had a few family members who said, you know, maybe you should really consider writing about this. Maybe you should consider writing about this. Maybe you'll help somebody else. And um, it wasn't until I was about six months sober that I had the realization that I really did want to write about it. And so I started writing. I started journaling about my experience. And for me... I I spent the last probably year of my of my drinking, you know, online late at night, Googling, am I yeah. an alcoholic? Right. 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 Which you know we know if you're Googling, am I an alcoholic? at three in the morning after you've had two bottles of Chardonnay. So probably huh. the answer is yes. You are in fact an Fances alcoholic. Are, right? Your browser should just like redirect you to a page that mm-hmm. says yes. It good. should send you to a treatment center, right? Like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for me I wasn't ready to to face my alcoholism but what I found online is this great wealth of information and of of all this writing all these resources people had written and for me at that time it was like a, a lifeline for me mm-hmm. and yeah. it made yeah and it made me feel like I wasn't alone like I knew okay I'm not alone. There are other people who are struggling right now, and they're writing about it. And through their experience, it's helping me. And so that really was, for me, um, what made the decision for me to actually start putting my writing online, which um, was very scary and <laughs> felt very vulnerable afterwards. But <laughs> I, I I did. I made the decision to put it online so that it would hopefully help other people and that's that's where i um you know i started i came up with you know over the bridge we go and so that's where i started yeah. my writing and it's at over the bridge we right it is it is yes. yes yes i loved reading your first piece i can't wait to read more of it it's so thank exciting you. that you got it done and the site looks beautiful oh thank you yeah it was um it was it was it was good for me to put it together you know it was like putting together a puzzle (laughs) yeah I I thought it was gonna be much easier than it was but (laughs) there was a lot to figure out and I it it was a lot of late nights but it was it was for me I knew it was something I wanted to do because I had so much energy around it so I I would wake Mm -hmm. up in the morning I'd want to work on it and I'd go to bed at night and I'd want to work on it so I knew um you know I, I think in sobriety we just you know, we've talked about this. Like, you just do the next right thing. Like, you just you feel like inside of you somewhere that you're being directed to, to just yes. do the next right thing. So you just keep following that feeling, which is what I was doing. It's like the, it's like your intuition just knows what you're supposed to be doing, and mm-hmm. and if you trust it, then
0: then it'll kind of lead you home. Yeah, I feel
1: absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and people, you know, whether they say that that's intuition. Or your higher power, or you know, some energy source, like I do. I really feel like um, once you're sober, you you get attuned to those to those feelings um, and to that guidance that's really within you. And so, tell me, Carrie. I know that you have um, you feel like you kind of developed more spiritually um, mm-hmm. since you got sober. Um, mm-hmm. Is that something? Is that um, what? What do you feel like? that comes from? Is it from developing a relationship with what you consider your higher power? Is it praying? What is it for you? Yeah, that is such a great question. And, um, you know, I think it's something that uh, for me personally has been a journey that I've started in sobriety. Um, Mm -hmm. I grew up as Catholic. I went to Catholic school. I had the uniform. I, you know, I had the nuns. Mm-hmm. I, I, I went to church, um, but I decided as I became an adult that it, it wasn't for me, so I moved away from the church, and I I would say I spent the 15 or so years before getting sober, really with no spirituality in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at, before I got sober, I, I considered myself to be an ex-Catholic. You know, my mom is a Quaker. My husband is Baptist, so I just really didn't know where I fell um, with my spirituality. But I knew it was something that I I was missing in my life. I knew it was something that I needed in my life and I didn't know where to get it. I didn't know how to find it. And okay, for me so when I was I would come what? You felt the absence then. I did, of, yeah. Of something. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what I would come to realize for me personally, I couldn't find spirituality when I was an active addiction because my power, my higher power was, was booze and pills.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And,
1: and it was right. And yeah, as long as yeah. I had that as, as my higher power, there was no room for anything else. That's a and, um, point. yeah. And I, I had, for me, the first like awakening to spirituality was I had what a lot of people call like a God moment or a God shot as they're called. Mm-hmm. And it was, Right before I got sober, I had a really um a really, really bad night of drinking, and I blacked out and um, it was this really important gala that we were hosting for my work. It was very important people that were there. Um, I handled the board of relations for our organization. I was really the point person on a lot of this this really important event. And my husband was there. My colleagues were there. My my boss was there. And I can remember saying to myself, "Do not get drunk, right? You cannot get mm-hmm. drunk tonight. Do not mm-hmm. get drunk." My last memory I have was me on the dance floor. It's black tie. You know, I'm in my my little black dress, and I am spinning out of control to some some song with my chardonnay in my hand. And I'm spinning, and the Chardonnay is flying all over the dance floor. And one of my colleagues is literally following me around like a Swiffer. And he is cleaning up the Chardonnay on the floor after me, right? Because I am such a mess at this point. And I remember, like, collapsing on the floor. And then the curtain just falls. Because for me, at the end, a lot of times the curtain just fell. And I didn't know what had happened. And yeah. so I woke up the next morning, and I um, was so filled with shame and guilt about the night before. I had no idea what happened. I didn't know if I still had a job because I hadn't. I didn't know what I had done the night before. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if I still had a fiance. I so mean, my husband and I were engaged at the time um, because I I had blacked out and I didn't know what I had done or said. Towards the end of the evening, um, I had gotten sick all over the place, um, which was pretty standard at that point, and I I was in such a low place in my life, um, and I remember just being on the floor sobbing, just completely sobbing, and I heard a voice, and it it wasn't my own voice, I do know that, and it was really calm, and it was loving and it called my name and um i remember i stopped right like it, it startled me because here i'm like i'm mm. ugly crying sobbing yeah. on the floor yeah. and yeah. i stopped long enough to hear my name being called and um what the voice said was do you want to live or do you want to die wow and i remember saying yeah yeah and i remember saying out loud like what and the, and i heard it again really calm do you want to live or do you want to die? Because if you continue drinking, this is how you're going to die. So wow. do you want to live? And I remember the hairs on my, everything, the hairs on my back just stood up. And I remember I just stopped crying. I stopped crying and I got myself off the floor and I remember saying out loud, I want to live. And that was the first time I reached out for help when I was trying to get sober. Um, wow. And for me, that was, that was a God moment for me. Um, yeah. I, I, I believed that that was a God moment for me. And, you know, I didn't get sober that day, but I can tell you that every time I drank after that, I thought about that experience. I thought about that moment mm-hmm. and it opened the, door for me that maybe there is something greater than myself um, in the world, right? And so it it cracked the door for me because it showed me that there was what I believed a higher power, some sort of order in the world. And um, when I got to treatment, really, is is where I started exploring, um, you know, a, a relationship with a higher power, and I, I didn't even know what that looked like in the beginning. You know, I can remember saying, like, well, where do you, where do you find God? Like, how, how do you find God? Right? Right. I had no idea. Right? Because for me, like, God was just this, like, you know, old white dude who, like, sat in a cloud <laughs> in the sky. Right. <laughs> And yes, like, would totally. smite you if you, you know, did something bad. And I was always doing something bad. So I always, <laughs> I, I just assumed that God did not love me. Um, which is not true. And so for me, I, that was like the first, at uh, the first point where I started kind of exploring a relationship with God. And it really, it started with, um, with three words. And it was in the morning, it was like, please help me. Please help me. Please help okay. me stay sober today. Please yeah, help me get through the day, and then at night I would just say thank you, and that's really where I started to um, to build a relationship with, with my higher power, and it's become a really important um, really important part of my of my recovery, and it's something that um, has been really incredible um, and helps me stay sober. That is so cool. What a cool story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was that something that they encouraged you to do in rehab, to pray? Because I know that that's – or in 12-step meetings, mm-hmm. I know that some sponsors and things like that do encourage you to pray, or was that something that was kind of intuitive for you? Yeah. So that's a really great question. Um the treatment, the treatment facility that I went to was Catholic-based. It was oh, okay. started by a Catholic priest. I did not even know that before I went there. And honestly it did not matter to me. All I knew is that yeah. I yeah, I would have gone anywhere. I knew like, I did gonna
0: make sure I don't drink? Great. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yes, sign me up. Great. Yes. Um it didn't matter to me what the faith base was. I just knew I needed help. And yeah. um so it was Catholic based. They did have services that you could go to. But it was never something that was forced. And um I I really loved that. You know, it was like we encourage you to find some sort of of spirituality. We encourage you to kind of go on a spiritual journey, whatever that looks like for you, because um, we think it's such an important part of sobriety. But, like, your God might not look like my God, and that's okay. And that's also something that's, you know, very encouraged in in the 12-step program is that, you know, your higher power is, is your higher power, and mm-hmm. it can look very different than somebody else's, and that's okay. And for me, that was um, such a departure from what I had grown up with. Um, yeah. It's such a departure from what I had experienced um, in religion, and it allowed me, I think it allowed me to kind of, like, walk through the doors of, of um, you know, explore. And spirituality. And so for me, um, you know, my, my God that I pray to is, is, is a woman in my head. And, wow. um, yeah, and I actually got there because I was having a really hard time with this concept of God because of what I said to you earlier, that in my head growing up, God was just like this old white guy in a cloud and um, he <laughs> didn't love me because I was always acting out, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had a really hard time praying to God, making the connection. And I expressed that one day in treatment to my therapist. And my therapist said to me, well, do you have somebody who has, um, who has crossed over, who has, has passed away, who loved you unconditionally, and who was like really a light in your life? somebody that you look up to and look to guidance and for me that was my grandmother
0: mm-hmm. and
1: he said we'll start talking to her start by talking to Aww. her yeah and so I started talking to her every day um but it was still I couldn't I still couldn't get it right in my head of like yeah. am I praying to this god am I talking to my grandmother what am I doing am I doing this right am I doing this wrong which by the way it does not matter there is no right or yeah. wrong way And the first day I got out of treatment, I went to um, a meeting. And for me, I I tend to go to women's meetings. I I find that they feel safe. Um, I feel like I can share. And so I'm struggling with this concept of God and how to pray. And is God a man? Is God a woman? How do I do this? And a woman raised her hand, and she said, you know, for me, my God isn't a man. It's a woman. And her name means kindness and patience and love and nourishment. Mm -hmm. And her name is Alma. And I stopped because that was my grandmother's name. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, that was my grandmother's name. And it's such an uncommon name. It's not a name that you hear very often. And so for me, that was like a direction that, you know, Your God is whoever you need it to be, and you can have whatever relationship you want with your God. And um, so for me, I just – it kind of shifted the way I thought about God, right? And I realized that God can be whoever, you know, your God is to you. And so, yeah, so that's become a a part of my – I would say, like, a long-term sobriety kit. You know, we talk about, like, the short-term and making it through just today versus, like, making it through life. And for yeah. me, I found that spirituality and having that as part of my life has been a really important component of, of keeping me grounded and um, keeping me focused every day and really helping with my sobriety. Wow. So yeah. how often are you... um Are you going to meetings
0: now? And is the
1: twelve step program? Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that's like the cornerstone of your personal Mm -hmm. recovery
0: right now, Mm -hmm. or is
1: it, or is it more Mm of like a you know,
0: piecemeal kind of thing for you? What's it like? Sure.
1: So when I first got out of treatment, I had to. I had to go to meetings every day. I had Mm -hmm. to. And you were not working at that point, right? I was not working at that point. So I had um, before I ended up in treatment. I was um, head of a fundraising division for mm-hmm. a large nonprofit, and I loved my job. I loved the organization. It was a fantastic organization with a fantastic mission. However, my job just happened to include a lot of alcohol. It was a lot of events, a lot of galas, a lot of, you know, you know cocktails and networking, and I I had to make the decision. I, I knew it wasn't safe for my sobriety for me to- to go back to my job, mm-hmm. and so I'm I'm grateful that I had the support of my husband um, and was able to to take a step back and and reevaluate um, you know my career path and what I was doing and where I wanted to go, and so I made the decision to focus um, you know entirely um, on recovery. So mm-hmm. in the beginning, I I I had that luxury, I, I'm, and I'm very grateful for that because I know not everybody does, especially. You know, people who are working jobs and taking care of kids and taking care of families it is very difficult um, so for me I was able to go to a meeting every day sometimes more than one meeting a day if I really needed to mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and for me it was a lot of it is just about was especially in the beginning was about the community you know yes like, community is so important you know just showing up and being seen and having people know who you are and, and being accountable um, even when you don't want to because I find that sometimes when I really don't want to show up is when I need to the most, um, yeah, absolutely. right? Like when you want to like isolate and hide and like go lay in your bedroom and like binge watch TV while you're eating your, you know, truffle kerfuffle and that's like <laughs> 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 truffle or kerfuffle. your peanut butter world. Either. <laughs> yes. What is your favorite Ben and Jerry's? Peanut butter world. Oh, Target God. exclusive. Yeah, I have and to find right. it. You have to go find it. I have I to find it. It's like yeah. the Holy Grail now. Like you mentioned <laughs> it and I can't find it. Find it anywhere, <laughs> so I have to find it, um, which I'm very excited about. But yeah, so like you know, those days when you really just want to stay home, I find that you just really have to get out. And so yes. the the 12 step program is is a fabulous outlet for me, and it's it's really helped me with the sense of community. Um, and, but and did I, you meet friends right away going? Mm-hmm, I did. Yes. Okay, you did. Yeah. So in the 12 step program, what happened? is, is you're told that when you're new, go to a meeting, raise your hand, say hello, my name is so and so, and I'm new. And when you do that, you did that, yeah, I did that over and over and over again. And every single time, I had at least five women that would come up to me after a meeting and introduce themselves and say, "How are you doing? Here's my number. Let's go get coffee." Nice. And yeah, that's one of the 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 parts about, um, you know the 12 step program that I love is just a sense of community and people really look out for newcomers. And that was so important in the very, the very beginning. You know, I can remember showing up at a meeting and I was right out of rehab. And so I am just feeling totally exposed and I'm, you know, just crawling out of my skin and nervous and I'm filled with anxiety and I'm very new. Mm -hmm. Don't know anyone. And I am in a meeting and I introduce myself and say that I'm new. And afterwards, one of the women comes up to me and she was like, what are you doing tomorrow? And this is another thing I definitely suggest for people early in sobriety is just say yes. Somebody asks you to do something and it's like sobriety related, right? Not like if somebody asks you to go out to a bar, like don't do that. But, <laughs> right, that's not smart. But if somebody <laughs> in recovery smart. asks you to do something, just say yes, right? And yes. so um, – my new friends, who I'd met about five minutes earlier, it was like, "We are making gingerbread houses tomorrow at my
0: house. Would you like
1: to come?" And I can tell you, the last thing I wanted to do was like drag my myself out of my bed, my warm, comfy bed. To mm-hmm. like go make gingerbread houses. Make a fucking gingerbread house. Make a yep. fucking gingerbread house. Thank you, Jess. <laughs> you're saying exactly what I was thinking with a bunch of strangers. And you know right? what? I did it. I showed up and there must Dude, have you're been such like a
0: badass.
1: I yeah, my gingerbreaking my gingerbread making skills. I'm total badass. I showed up there must have been like it felt like a hundred women. I'm sure there was probably only twenty women, but I didn't know anyone and I came there with like my little gingerbread making kit. And I remember thinking like, Oh, is this what we do in sobriety? Like yeah. now that I'm sober this I'm, fun? <laughs> is this it? Gingerbread house making. But it was um it was. It ended up being such a good, um, a, a good thing for me because it got me outside of myself, and it, it made, it forced me to meet new people and to get uncomfortable and really. Because I think a lot of early sobriety is just like leaning into the unknown, uncomfortable. Oh way. yeah. Oh yeah. And, um And my gingerbread house was just horrendous. Um, it was <laughs> awful. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. And I can remember asking somebody to take a picture of it just so that I had photographic evidence that I did this yes. thing. And um, and I was so grateful that I did. You know, it ended up just being a really great night for me and and an early sobriety for me. And just in sobriety in general, a lot of it is just making those connections with people like getting out of your comfort zone um, and being a part of the greater community because, you know, the saying is that the, the opposite of addiction is connection. And I think mm-hmm. that wherever you can find that is so crucial, so crucial. So I'm so grateful. Absolutely. Yeah, for every, all of my friendships with me in sobriety. And we've talked about the fact that um, there's just like a different kind of connection that you make with other sober mm-hmm. women. Um, yeah, it's just kind of like, real and raw. And like, I don't know, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like that, mm-hmm. that just, that kind of thing where we've all been to hell and back and it's like you know you can just show your scars I guess I love it I have to say I I love it the people in sobriety are just amazing and I think it's because you you do lead with your vulnerabilities there's no hiding Mm -hmm. who you are right no you're there's everybody is completely open and honest about who they are and um for me that is just like, such a beautiful way to start a friendship is that... Oh, yeah. You, yeah. And so the friendships that you make, I feel like you just have a deeper connection with people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you have just a deeper level of understanding and a friendship, which is just a really amazing gift of sobriety. Absolutely. It's so great. It's, like, the coolest thing that I never... It's, like, the coolest gift of, of sobriety that I didn't expect. Yes. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree and, you know, um I had to let go of some of my friends too, which is kind of the flip side oh, of yeah. that. Yeah. Is that, yeah, and so I had to let go of some of my friends and I was really, I was really worried. Like, uh, you know, what kind of friendships am I going to make in sobriety? And it's been, so wonderful, like the gift of sobriety and gift of sober friendships is that you are just kind of embraced by this community um, of people who love you and take you as you are and, um, you know, want to be your friend. Yeah. And have you, I know that um, you didn't have, you know, like a super low bottom, you didn't get arrested and all those kinds of things, which is the same as me have you been able to see the the similarities rather than the differences when you've been going to meetings? Like I know that they they say, you know, look Mm -hmm. for the similarities, not for the differences. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. do you find when you go to meetings that you get something out of it every time? Like, are you able to see the similarities? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I, I, um, you know, I I identify in rather than out and. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And it's so important. And, And, um, you know, I, I had a lot of not yet, I will say. You know, I was, yes. I was a very high functioning alcoholic, but could have just as easily been me. You know, I, I was in a meeting recently with somebody who was, you know, arrested for a DUI. I've met people before who have sadly been involved in, you know, incidents where somebody else was killed because they were drunk driving. Mm-hmm. And, um, that could have been me. So yeah. I'm, I'm I'm very fortunate in that in that sense, um, but I don't think for one minute that there's anything different than me than there is um, about somebody who has been arrested, um, right? Because I I think it could have just as easily been me. Yeah, we were just sense. lucky. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's the other well, thing I love about sobriety. Oh, yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that, you know, people come from all walks of life, all walks of life, you know, people that, you know, don't look like you or sound like you or have, you know, anything in common other than the fact that you are sober. And it's amazing to me because you just form these relationships and these bonds. And it it really brings people, I think, brings people together, really. Oh, totally. I love that. Like, one of my best friends uh, is, you know, uh, like seven years older than me and
0: doesn't have kids, and I never would have met her mm-hmm. otherwise right. if
1: um, if we weren't both sober. So it's just right. so cool. It's so cool.
0: Yeah, Everybody so needs sobriety.
1: Cool. I just want everybody sure. to get sober. I, everybody. I want everybody to be in recovery. Like Recovery yes. is just It's mm-hmm. the best thing. It's like a life hack. It's like the it magic pill really everybody's looking for. That's it. It's, you're <laughs> right, Jess. It's the best life hack ever. It really is. <laughs> everybody it's needs like, it.
0: Yes, if you could, if you just stop drinking,
1: everything else you can get is just like unbelievable. I I always like pinch myself like I gave up one thing and I right. get all of these other things back. All of these other wonderful things back, which is what I'm yeah. so excited. Um, you know, to bring it full circle, but like about your podcast is just
0: Yay. there's all these
1: wonderful, awesome things people are doing in sobriety and I'm just so excited that you're going to share some of those stories because I think carrying that message is so important and you're going to help so many people oh thanks Carrie well um we could talk about this for hours
0: and hours I have no doubt um thank you so much for being on today it was so much fun to talk about this and I think I'll have you back and we'll talk about some more stuff pretty soon because you and I have a full list of topics that um, yes. that we could we could go over
1: together and yes, we will well. let's get lacroix well yes absolutely absolutely we'll <laughs> sit outside in the sun together in the sun from, from one coast to another one coast to another and we yes. will be sober yes. in the sunshine together absolutely Carrie thank you
0: so much this has been really fun thanks Jess I so appreciate Yay. it.
1: Yay! All right. I'll talk to you soon.
0: Right, bye. Bye. Thanks again for being here for the first interview episode of Sober in the Sunshine. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Carrie this week. If you want to read Carrie's writing, you can find her at overthebridgewego.com. And if you have any feedback, comments, questions, anything for me, please reach out. I'm always happy to chat. Soberinthesunshine at com. Until next time. Take care.